Welcome to episode 139 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and La Magra. This week we're going to be talking about Blade on your These People Are Our Food podcast. find Buffy references in all of the pop culture with me. I'm on Twitter at Mandy K. And I'm Matthew Vose. If you want to find any vampire reference for anything, they're all just blurging into one of that at this point. I'm at Matthew Vose on Twitter. I, I, <laughs> they're blurging. They are blurging. I am now up to 20 <laughs> vampire films for the year. Oh my good gracious. How many of those have you done in the last week? Uh, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. We can we can tell this. It's it's 20, It's 14 in a month. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, but let's have a look at week, because that's a whole other question. If I go from yesterday, it's six in a week. Wow. If I go from today, it's four. Because okay. I did watch like three in two days. Wow. It's good. It's good. Have you watched anything that wasn't vampire related in the last month? Uh, you I, I watched The Matrix. Um, you I did? did an exciting okay. Matrix commentary, so I hope our Patreon patrons liked it. Uh, I watched a film called The Private Lives of Pippa Lee. Do you remember a while ago I said there was, when, during Keanu Month, you referenced Something's Gotta Give. And I said there was a film that I'm sure I've read a review that says this film ends the way Something's Gotta Give should have ended. Mm-hmm. It was The Private Lives of Pippa Lee, which is okay. Robin Wright moving into a retirement village with her much older husband, Alan Arkin. Um, looking back on her life, and young Pippa Lee is played by Blake Lively. And frankly, Blake Lively as a young Robin Wright is pitch perfect. Hmm. I'm really sorry about the plosives in this. The private lives of Pippa, P- Pippa Lee that is pitch perfect with Blake <laughs> Lively. <laughs> uh, what else have we watched? A uh, couple of really dark, violent films, one of which I had to fast forward the end. Oh, oh goodness. The, the two guys were having a fight in a workshop. One of them picked up a standing knife. And, like, you know, I, I work with tools and drills and routers and, and saws and all sorts of things. The standing knife is the one that scares me. It's okay. just, it's the sharpest thing and the easiest thing to do damage with. And as soon as you picked it up, I'm like, fast forward. I don't, I don't need to watch this. <laughs> this is not in my dreams. Matthew yeah. was done. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about Blade. Blade. <laughs> that was not even planned. <laughs> <laughs> that's good that was absolutely planned i'm scared of blades <laughs> i do have a thing to talk about sharp sharp things later so we can come back to that yeah. one um blade so we're deep into vampire month i did a vampire film article i can't even remember i think it was just called vampires on film about all the other sorts of vampires to go and look at um this would come under the category of vampire hunter I think. Vampire Slayer, yes, if you will. Yeah, it is another word for it. The killer and hunter of vampires, <laughs> yes. Um, how come you've never seen Blade? Um, because my vampire slayers are girls, obviously. <laughs> I wish I was kidding, but I'm not. That's why I never watched it. Because I was deep into Buffy at this point. I mean, Buffy came out like the same year. Like he came out in 97, I think. So this was still early Buffy, but I was obsessed. Okay. 
already. And yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Mm. So if you have not seen Blade, this may sound familiar, though. Blade is the chosen one who not only has made it his life's mission to slay vampires, but it also turns out that his blood is what will bring forth a very powerful godlike vampire who will destroy humanity. <laughs> is that a first thing or a glory thing? Or is it just, is it just the master? the master? Okay, yeah, yeah. The master, yeah. yeah. <laughs> God, I really, really wanted to like do... In every generation, there is a chosen one, but there wasn't that every generation aspect. But oh my God, this is like, if Wesley Snipes were Buffy, this is the movie we would get. Okay. I mean, there are a lot of similarities. There are a lot. Like, I think Joss was heavily influenced by the visuals in Blade okay. on several things. Okay. Let's loop back round in a minute. I think. Can okay. I, I? I'm interested in what you knew about Blade before, because I, I feel like it's not much, and and what your expectations were for the film. Yeah, I I didn't know anything. I didn't know if he was a vampire or a vampire hunter okay. when I was going into it. Um. So yeah, literally all I knew about this movie was Wesley Snipes was in it, and it had vampires in it. <laughs> okay, that's it. Okay. Cool. I'm going to give you a bit more information then. So Blade is a 1998 superhero film. It was based on the Marvel Comics character, starring Wesley Snipes as the titular character alongside Stephen Dorff, Chris Christopherson and Nabush Wright. It was written by David S. Goyer and directed by Stephen Norrington. Blade is considered one of the films that kickstarted the modern superhero era. It was Marvel's second property to have a wide theatrical release in the USA and the first one to see success. Snipes signed on to the property after he couldn't get a Black Panther film made and ended up being producer and martial arts choreographer for Blade. The film grossed $131 million against its $45 million budget, which was considered a success. Critics felt the action was good, but the story was very thin and wouldn't hold audiences' attention. Audiences were much more generous and gave the film positive responses. Blade will go on to have two more sequels, Blade 2 and Blade Trinity a short-lived TV series, and there is a planned reboot to be a part of the MCU starring Mahashala Ali. I had not heard that there was going to be vampires in the MCU. That's interesting. Well, this was the big... When they were doing the announcements about the Phase 4 stuff, you know, they had out, mm -hmm. like, Angelina Jolie and Kamal Nanjiani, and they did, and we're doing Captain Marvel 2, and we're doing this, and blah, blah. Right. And at the end, they, they did the kind of, oh, one more thing. And Mahershala mm -hmm. Ali came out and said, oh, by the way, we're doing a Blade film because we went to him and said, what would you want to do? And he, oh, and he wow. went, okay. Blade. I'm really curious how they're going to introduce vampires into the world. Mm. The, this film takes it slightly further than some of the others. I mean, there are already vampires as part of other people's mythology because this is almost a Spider-Man spinoff. One of Spider-Man's really? big enemies is Mobius, the vampire. And I think Blade's one of Blade's origins was that he was bitten by Mobius and turned into a vampire who could hunt vampires at, at okay. one time, something like that. Um, Venom is kind of a vampire. And I still so, haven't seen Venom. Okay. So. In in yeah, some of the stuff of that. I mean, it's it's you know eating people for energy and stuff, but that is vampiric. Right. Um. But yeah, this this film came out. The only so they'd done a Punisher film, they'd done a Captain America film. They hadn't been released at cinemas, certainly in the US. They hadn't done very well. They released Howard the Duck in cinemas. It did very badly. 
Um, and everyone will tell you that's because Turtles came out at the same time and Turtles wiped it off, but it was because Howard the Duck wasn't very good and it's weird. <laughs> um, and then they released Blade and suddenly everyone's like, oh, this is really good. It's good action. And there's a lot in here that is the template for the modern superhero film. And then two years later, you get the X-Men. Two years later, you get Spider-Man. And and modern superhero oh, films are born. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, it is a good movie to look at. Mm. Like, Wesley Snipes, like, he plays this character, like, he's just awesome to yeah. watch. Like, I just want to watch him fight things. <laughs> he, right? I mean. He has always talked about coming back and doing more in this world. He, This is his world. He loves it. So yeah. I, I will almost be a little surprised if he's not got something in the new film. But I can understand it the way Marvel treat it as like, if it's gone before us, we don't reference it. We don't deal with it. Right. You know? I read a quote from Wesley Snipes today, something about how the reason he was so excited to do this movie was because where else can he kill a bunch of people and catch, kick a bunch of ass and not be the villain? Mm. I thought that was pretty great because yeah. it's spot on. Yeah. Yeah, he, he has always played, as we'll probably dig into in, in a bit, uh, slightly more nuanced characters. Characters aren't always the nicest or good guys, so. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, just finished the superhero thing. It's also worth remembering that Batman and Robin was the year before this. So there was a, a mm. very clear delineation between comic booky, campy fun and hard, gritty, black shadows, good-looking action. Right. You know, the, the modern style, yeah. yeah. Okay. How were you how were you able to watch this? Is it still on some sort of Sky Cinema fancy channel? No. Um I mentioned a while ago we're gonna go through a thing of uh, me having bought DVDs and this is another one. I actually ended up buying the trilogy because it was only like two pounds for the trilogy, so I thought mm, there's a good chance we might okay, end that's up. Fair. You know. Uh what about in the States? Is it available anywhere over there? Um, you can rent it just about anywhere, but it is currently available for free with ads on Voodoo. Okay. Which is the same way I had watched uh, But I'm a Cheerleader. Cool. Nice. So that was neat. Okay. We we just touched on Wesley Snipes, but can you tell me what else you've seen and know of Wesley Snipes and Chris Christopherson and Stephen Dorff? Um, Wesley Snipes is mostly just because who doesn't know who Wesley Snipes is, <laughs> right? I mean... I have seen Demolition Man and U.S. Marshals. Okay. But I think that's it. Okay. Honestly, I just know who he is. Right. He was just one of those people who was always around in the 90s. Mm. Um, Chris De- Christopherson. De- Demolition Man is one of the great action films, I think. I think it's just fun and silly. I honestly, I've seen it a couple of times and I really don't remember that much about it. Okay. I remember the joke of the shells in the bathroom, but that's it. <laughs> no, no, it's it's because it's a well crafted bit of sci fi. Okay, it's but it's also doesn't quite take itself too seriously. Yeah, but everyone's giving a good performance. Yeah, it's it's just a great fun film. Um, but that also means you've not seen White Men Can't Jump. That is correct. Which is, I remember being a great film, but it's one of those like, I wonder if when I'm not a teenager and I watch it, is it still as good? <laughs> Do you know? Mm, I don't know. And I'm wary. <laughs> okay. okay. Chris, Christop- Chris Christopherson. Uh, Chris Christopherson, I know him more as a singer mm. than anything else. I yeah. mean, he did write Me and Bobby McGee and Help Me Make It Through the Night. Um, I have seen him in other movies. <laughs> Which are songs, I assume? Yes. Okay. They are... Yes. How do you not know these songs? Well, he ain't as big <laughs> over here. Let me tell you that. 
<laughs> well, he didn't. I mean, he didn't perform them. Okay. Um, other other people did, but I mean, he's written songs that like Willie Nelson has done, and you know, he was more a songwriter than a singer, but he has done singing as well. So that's just where I know him from. Okay. I like country music. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sue me. <laughs> Um, I have seen him in a few other movies, but the one I think of when I think of him is Joyful Noise, in which he played Dolly Parton's dead husband. Okay. Well done, him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stephen Dorff? Nope. Mm. Nothing. Stephen Dorff's a really interesting one because I just know of him and I'm not entirely sure how. Like, I don't think I've seen... He was in a film called Batbeads about the Beatles. I don't think I've seen that. Um... He was in a few other things that I definitely haven't seen. He was in an Aerosmith video, so I think that might be it. It's just one of those kind of, you know, pop culture osmosis. Mm -hmm. He was around. I've never heard his name before, but he looks really familiar to me. Mm. But I don't know if it's because he looks like somebody else. I mean, like, there were a lot of people who kind of looked like that in the 90s. Okay, yeah. So I'm not sure. Um, I, I mentioned that it also stars, um, I'm going to go with Nurbush, right? Probably not saying that right, and I'm really sorry. She hasn't really done much, and it's a shame because she actually gives a really good performance here. And it's just one of those things. And one of the things I found watching all the different vampire films, because I've been trying to watch from different countries and see what how different countries and directors have treated it. There is just this thing of young women cast and give a good performance, but then don't get anything following up from it. And it's it's almost an international thing. It's not even like it's that's the way Hollywood treats women. It's just the way people who make films treat them, which is a real shame. Yeah. She was in Dead Presence, which I've always heard is good, but I've never actually watched. So maybe someday. Of course I haven't seen it. No, I would assume not. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked vampires. Go back and listen to us talking on Dracula if you want to hear us talking a lot about Draculas. Um, Blade, did you enjoy watching Blade? I did, um, mostly because it ended up being fun seeing all of the parallels with Buffy. Okay, like that's it fair. kind of ended up being a game with me. Oh, that looks familiar. Oh, that looks familiar. Right. Oh, hey, he's kind of like Spike. You know, just that's what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So this is based on a comic book. Yes, and and draws some of its stuff from a comic book. It is then something like five years after the Buffy film, and about the same time as the TV series. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's some of it that I think, oh yeah, it's probably became part of the law based on the comics, and that's maybe where it got taken from. And there's some of it that maybe got taken in both directions as well, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Can I do something a bit different than we normally do here? You absolutely can. The world is your oyster, Matthew. Can I tell you one of my favorite things from it? Yes. Because it's going to come up again, so I kind of want to kick off with it. Otherwise, you're just going to go, why are you doing that thing? I love the way Blade, Wesley Snipes, says Frost. 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 Okay. (laughs) And just all the way through the film, give my regards to Frost. Frost. And then at the end, it's just him running around, killing dudes. Frost. 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 <laughs> so you know every so often I reference and I'm like, this has become a thing I just say. Mm-hmm. If someone is called Frost or something is frosty. Frost. Frost. Okay. <laughs> so there's every chance frost. we're about to have an episode where every time we mention Stephen Dorff, I just go, Frost. 
I love it. I, I and that's I know it shouldn't be the sort of thing that stays with me from a film, but I love the growl that he has because he's he's not a talkative character. No, Blade. he's not. You know, he he talks with his actions very much mm-hmm. as this is an action film, but I do love all the ways like Frost. Okay, I honestly don't think I noticed, okay. but. I probably will notice it every single time I watch anything referenced to Blade now. <laughs> so let's talk the film itself. I, I found this really interesting coming to it so soon after watching Constantine, because there are a lot of similarities. The The character is something of an asshole, and not the nicest person necessarily, and a bit stoic. Um, he is the person who's in the know who drives the action, but it's other things around him that are actually moving things forward that he gets involved with. Yeah, this is not his story. It's not his origin story. It It's not about him. Mm. And it, it becomes about him because of the whole blood thing. Right, right. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not the story of him becoming Blade. The the, the Blade Begins equivalent. Blade <laughs> you know. Begins. But you know what I mean? Like, you know. Yeah. That, the, the year one Blade. Right, um, yeah. Yeah, I found it really interesting coming to it that way, and I don't mm-hmm. think I'd ever picked up on it before. Do you think in making Constantine they drew from some of this sort of thing? I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it. I know one of the things that I had picked up on hmm. watching this movie, um, which Constantine did not do or certainly did not do well, right. was I appreciated how they trusted their audience mm-hmm. in this one. Um, they told you what you needed to know and they showed you other things and you never ended up feeling like you were being like exposition dumped at. Okay. But you also never felt like you didn't know what was going on. Like they walked that line so well Mm. and Constantine just decided to not tell you anything. Yeah. Right. Because the character was so in the know, Mm. the audience must be in the know too. And they didn't do that here, but partly because vampire lore is so common, they trusted the audience to know. And the things we needed to know that were different, like, you know, Whistler telling us, you know, the sunlight thing is real, but crosses is rubbish, you know, all of that stuff. Like, it was just really quick information, Mm. offhanded comment, just to let us know, here are the things that are different in this world than you might know. And the rest of it, they just... Everybody knows about vampires, so we're just going to put you in the story. Yeah. And and it was spread out, which was good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, the bits about the club and the glyphs and then bits about weapons and the mythology came mm-hmm. uh, spread out around bits of action, bits of, you know, moving the plot forward. Yeah. We never got like that one scene of somebody just word vomiting everything yeah. that the audience needs to know. Mm. And there are movie makers who would do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's very fair. So let's talk Buffy. I want to return to the, to the first thing. I'll always talk Buffy. I'll tell you the thing that stood out the most for me, and this is because I've been thinking about Buffy the film a lot more than okay. Buffy the TV series, because I've been thinking about vampire films, is Quinn getting his hand cut off and, and, and his arm cut off and getting his arm cut off twice. Okay. Yeah? And Paul Rubens gets his arm chopped off in Buffy the movie. Oh, and it's yeah. a little bit like a kind of puppet Velcro arm gets ripped off. <laughs> and, like, you can almost see, you know, his arm stuck under his jacket but not pushed through it to fake it. Right. And, that. and in this, it's like, 
oh, the, the quality of graphics and the budget is much higher on this, but the quality right. of it has jumped forward during the 90s um, so much. Some of the graphics. Yeah. Well, oh, well, we'll come to some of the, the <laughs> other stuff that I think you picked up on. What did you particularly like in the Buffy references and the Buffy parallels? Okay, so it started at the very beginning, right? When we get introduced to the, the two people who we're never going to see again. The human at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. The vampire girl. Although we don't know she's a vampire, right? Well. But, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> well, I mean, instantly you don't know she's yeah, a vampire. Yeah, but, you kind of yeah, figured yeah, out yeah. When, when they go into the club. <laughs> and so I was picking up like Darla vibes there. Right, because in the the introductory scene Absolutely. of Buffy, you mm-hmm. get the girl and the boy, and you think he's the one who's going to be like he's predatory, predatory and it turns Absolutely. out to be her. Mm. And and so we kind of got that going right into the movie, and that's the thing that set me up to start looking for Buffy references. Right. Like it's like okay, that actress, I was very intrigued by like suddenly reading about her. I was like, oh, there's a whole like Wikipedia page. Interesting. I wonder who she was. Yeah. So it turns out she was an adult actress. Oh, okay. But she lied and was 16 when she was doing it. So when it got exposed, all her stuff had to be destroyed. And I think there's like, apparently there was one film that survived that was made after she turned 18. But then Mm. she started trying to go and do like more proper film stuff. Mm -hmm. But it was like, oh, that's a story. (laughs) That is a story. Absolutely. Um, I think the next thing I picked up on was a character named Whistler. Like, mm-hmm. who's kind of the guiding father figure to Blade yep. in Blade. Yep. Um, and, and Joss happened to name the person who was kind of guiding Angel into his path, <laughs> Whistler. That cannot be a coincidence. No, and Whistler is a character from the comics. I, that, I think, is the one that Joss is... When you say happen to name a guiding character Whistler, mm-hmm. when there's a very famous yeah. mentor character for a vampire, I think he's like... In homage, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, may- maybe absolutely. he didn't expect that Blade would ever become a thing. I don't know. It's mm. been around since the seventies, so. Yeah. But you know, in the way like a big film of it, because mm-hmm. how would that work? Ah. <laughs> um, and I, I think you you quoted this line. Uh, well, no, I quoted this line up in the beginning when Frost says these people are these people are our food, not our allies. Mm-hmm. Like, that totally reminded me of Spike at the end of season two. Mm-hmm. People walking around like Happy Meals on legs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and and then maybe that's a stretch, but it just, it felt very similar because then I had Buffy on the brain, right? Yeah, right, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Pearl. The vampire yes. Pearl. Yes, yeah, the yeah, yeah. vampire. Mm-hmm. Balthazar was absolutely that. Was it uh, Balthazar? Was that his name? The big hot tub demon that was going to eat the babies? yeah. In season three? I, I know what you're referencing. I think his name was Balthazar. Yes. Awesome. Yes, and that is absolutely taken off. I, I will say, Pearl's, you know, the suit, the, the CG on Pearl, not CG, the, the practical effect of Pearl was actually really good. It was creepy yeah, was, and, yeah. I was reading about how they did it. It took him, like, 45 minutes to get in and out of it. Yeah. And they had puppeteers, like, one person doing each arm. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's pretty great. Brilliant. Um, uh, I, I don't know, what it brought to mind was we, we started watching Monk recently, and there was an episode of Monk about a guy who killed a woman, but the guy was 400 plus pounds and bedridden. So it was like, how did he get to her house and kill the woman? Mm-hmm. That's, like, impossible. Right. And it was uh, the guy playing 
the bedridden dude was the doctor from the West Wing who treated Josh okay. when he had his you know, right, right. PTS thing. And they didn't have a suit or anything for him, but they didn't even apply any prosthetics to his face and so on. So it was like, this dude is not 400 pounds. Right. So then you oh, see it here, you're like, wow, they've really made this scary, creepy, massive dude. Yeah. <laughs> and then named him Pearl. Pearl. <laughs> I don't know why they did that. Yeah. And gave them a really, really squeaky voice. Like, mm. he was really not a scary vampire. He was just very large. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do about it, Daywalker! Is that so? Well, that's what Frost says. And creepy looking. I think there was a reference that they were going to have him eating, that he loves eating the hearts of babies or something on those. Like, there's even more similarities, yeah. but... Yeah. Weird. <laughs> okay. Um, there was a scene in a subway car. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. The visual of that scene, like even down to the green coloring, was almost identical to the scenes we got of Spike fighting the Slayer. Right. The flashbacks of Spike yeah, yeah. fighting the Slayer. Like, the, it was identical. It was really bizarre. Mm-hmm. I expected to see Spike <laughs> fighting Nikki Woods. Death is your art. You make it with your hands day after day. That final gasp. That look of peace. Part of you is desperate to know what's it like. Where does it lead you? And now you see, that's the secret. Not the punch she didn't throw or the kick she didn't land. She merely wanted it. Every slayer has a death wish. I'm weird. I know. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we had the line, you're the chosen one. You're the chosen one. But I guess being a chosen one doesn't automatically mean it's a Buffy reference because it's such a trope. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> such a trope. I can't say that Joss came up with that one, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, when, oh, why can I not remember her name right now? I want to say her name is Karen. What is her name? The girl's name. Let's have a look. Mm-hmm. You can't remember her name either? No, not at all. Uh, Dr. Karen Jensen. It was Karen. It oh was my Karen. gosh. Okay. It was Karen. She's um, going to call for the manager. <laughs> <laughs> when she makes Blade drink from her to save him. Yep. Blade. Listen to me. I want you to take some of my blood. Look. Just do it. Um, that was straight out of Buffy and Angel um, in season three, I think. I was thinking of specifically the scene in the mansion. Mm-hmm. It is never over. I won't let you die. Drink. Please. Um, where she ends up crushing the metal vase because he mm-hmm. hasn't stopped. It felt very much like that. Right. I'll tell you what it gave me shades of is, and spoilers for Angel here, the Angel finale because he drinks the blood mm. and that's what gives him strength. This is right. the thing that Blade has not drunk human blood and he doesn't want to stoop to that level, all this kind of thing. And finally he does it. And that's what's able to allow him to take on the army of Frost. Frost. Okay. Um, the last one was, again, mm. it was just a visual thing. So when it's all over, um, Karen and Blade climb up the ladder out into the sun. Okay. And that looked very much like in the pilot of Buffy 
Buffy and Xander are crawling out of the sewer into the sun to get okay. away from the vampires. It just visually, it was very similar. Interesting. Um, and so I know a lot of that really is a stretch. Like, it's not actually a Buffy parallel, but it Once really feels head. to me yeah. like like Joss watched this movie and said, all of this stuff is really badass and I need to figure out how to put it visually in my show. Mm-hmm. And he did. Mm. Like, I guess it could be a coincidence, but that's... Uh, pretty big coincidence i I mean you can see this modernizing vampires again even more so than we've seen in things like lost boys um and a bit in fright night because we've got the introduction of a kind of vampire royalty ruling coven thing Mm -hmm. that we would see in underworld and twilight and other things well i also found it interesting in this world you could be born a vampire yeah that's a really interesting one that's something that doesn't come up a lot mm. in vampire lore. And I tried to Google it and did not get the results that I was looking for. I can't remember what kept coming up now, but it was not what I was trying to find. Like, okay. I wanted to find stories that talk about vampires that are born, right? Okay. Um, and I, I know I've read some. Like, the Vampire Academy series mm. has um, vampires that are born – that are good vampires that are turned that are not good mm-hmm. and then you've got the hybrids who are half vampire half human like blade is okay um so i can see that definitely pulled from the mythology of yeah. this world and um, and the less said about connor the better in general um <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really nice way to introduce a class element to yeah. your vampire story the the it's something we're absolutely used to you know harry potter does this and many many other stories do this who mm-hmm. is who is a natural and who is learning it that kind of thing right who is born to it um mm-hmm. but it works it sets up a really nice sort of difference between the modern and the old yeah exactly yeah. yeah blue blood as it were and of course so you've reminded me of the other things it does interestingly uh it does them in biker helmets in the sun <laughs> which is basically what Ray-Ban you then use to make their own adverts a year later. Because I was looking it up, oh. I'm like, what came first, the Ray-Ban advert or this? And, okay. and, and when I say the Ray-Ban advert, does that mean anything to you? No. Very famous Ray-Ban advert of a bunch of cool, hip, sexy-looking people sat watching the sun come up. Um, and one guy's like racing through town trying to get there to like be part of the gang to watch the sun comes up. And he gets there and he sits down just as the sun's coming over and he's like padding his pockets. And he goes, <gasps> and he explodes. And everyone else has got sunglasses on. And then they laugh and they've all got fangs. And the guy's like, somebody forget his Ray-Ban sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> Which is quite, it, it's a very cool advert, you know. That's clever. Um and uh, and I always like uh, I I could never remember what came first, this or the Ray Ban advert. And it turns out mm-hmm. it was this with them standing around in biker helmets, and that stops the sun from killing them. But okay. the bit where Frost covers himself in sunscreen and goes to see, see, I can't even say it without laughing. He coats himself in suntan lotion. It was a very very thick suntan lotion, though. I mean. <laughs> Like it, it kind of cha- it did change the color of his skin. Do you think it works? <laughs> okay, like I can be forgiving about it though because okay. they did keep it like it. He was still not in direct sunlight, 
Because even when the – he wasn't. Okay. The sun okay. had not yet risen yet because when the sun rose, that's when he put the helmet on and you could see the rays come up. Okay. Oh, the, well, the helmet was a different sequence. The helmet was them on the cliff killing the old dude and, and pulling his teeth out, which his teeth then didn't burst into thing. Hmm. So, because this is the other thing with the sunscreen, when when it's he goes and actually sees Blade, and you have them facing off, and he's got the small girl under his under his claw. Sun black. Hey, it's a start, right? And he's got all this sunscreen on him, and mm-hmm. I think it was one of the McElroys on my brother, my brother and me, who did a thing ages ago of like, but he's not got sunscreen on his eyeballs and in his mouth. <laughs> so, is it literally his skin? That burns because all of him, all of vampires explode in the sun. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah, like so his hair. <laughs> I had never considered that before. I, I I don't know if it would work or not. And obviously, vampires aren't real, but in general, is the idea of it. It's a really funny idea, but you just. It's so daft, and it's such a contrivance to make them meet that way. Where I'm sure there is a better way to do it, especially because you've already had the cool bit where they see each other through the like Skype thing mm-hmm. with Pearl. That's quite good, you know, keeping your antagonist and your protagonist apart, but you know, in in conflict already. Those are the interesting twists on the vampire lore. On the flip side, they do very cool stuff with garlic, with like actually thinking about. Why do vampires need to drink blood? Oh, they can't produce the hemoglobin, so it's actually a thing. So we could produce a cure because this is what there is. Like, interesting science ideas. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting that they brought in that you could they could cure you if you had been turned, mm. if you'd been bitten. Yeah. But if you were born, it was genetic and they couldn't. Right. Um, so I do love it whenever they try to bring some, like, scientific realism mm-hmm. into the supernatural. It's fascinating. Yeah. But you did remind me what came up when I was trying to search for uh, stories about vampires that were born. Go on. If you search for born vampires, you get a whole bunch of like first person fan fiction of people claiming to be vampires. Awesome. Good on them. Were born. Chase your bliss. <laughs> yes. That's what I found and could not actually find a listing. And I probably, I could have done a more thorough search, but <laughs> I was, I moved. I've been busy. Um <laughs> So I'm sure there's a way to find more vampire stories where vampires are born and not just bitten. But there's a lot of people who write stories as if they are vampires who are real. Yeah. Okay. I I did like the way this film did is if you're bitten and you survive, you're turned. None of this drinking their blood and you know then mm-hmm. having to feed all that kind of thing. It's just if a vampire bites you, you are turned into a vampire. It's more yes. in the zombie vein of the myth, but mm-hmm. it does make things a little bit easier and takes out some of the sexy sexiness of it. <laughs> However, the drinking blood scene at the, at the end, and you've talked about the link between uh, vampires and sex, the vampire feeding mm-hmm. and sex. The scene where he's drinking Cameron's blood at the end is pretty racy. <laughs> I don't think no? I picked up on that. Okay. I was watching it, and, and I, I think because I was thinking on the conversations we've had, I'm like... Oh, they're basically doing a sex scene here. Interesting. And, and, and of course, it's paralleled with Frost becoming La Magra. Yeah. So it's, you know, they're, they're both ascending through gaining other people's power. Yeah, mm. that's true. They had already done, like, a slight sex scene with Frost and his girlfriend, who never got a name, I don't think. Mercury. A fleet-footed mm. vampire and Frost's lover. <laughs> Frost. Frost. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. So they they did it. I mean, it was a weird, like, out of place scene where they were doing this weird kissing and like it cut to that and then it cut away really fast. It made no sense, and I think that's why I noticed it. Yeah, I think was that a like he's killed someone, so they're getting off on the kill type thing. Maybe something like that. Mm. Yeah, it just it felt weird. But let's come to what this film does. The in some ways, I feel like it's the reason the film exists. To make Blade look cool. To make Wesley Snipes look cool. Like, the film goes to every single length it can do. He is very rarely even hit in the fights. He is flipping and throwing people. He's throwing glaives and catching them. He's stoic. He's the one at the vampire rave where there's blood coming out of sprinklers, but he doesn't get any blood on him. He just takes mm-hmm. these people out. He misfires his gun at one time and ends up face-to-face with the vampire, but actually gets the gun under her jaw and blows her face off. And everything about this film is, how good can we make him look? <laughs> you are not wrong. And it's, again, it's reminiscent of Constantine, because Constantine does cool stuff all the way through and is in control and it knows what to do at each stage. But mm-hmm. that was a film that didn't want you to feel for Constantine wanted you to know like no this guy is damned he is dying of cancer because he smokes all the time and coughing up blood you are not to feel sorry or sympathy for him whereas in this we're like blade's just doing what he needs to do because he was born this way and he's gonna be awesome at doing it and any number of people (laughs) even the even the bit of like it's just one guy on foot no he's got a motorbike now (laughs) brilliant I don't know. I there were times that I didn't really feel for Blade because it felt mm. his mission was not to save humans. It was to kill vampires. Yeah. Mm. It was he didn't care about people. Nope. And I think that's an important distinction to make. Mm, I'd agree. Cause it the great bit at the beginning where he goes and saves the guy at the rave, but he checks him for bites and then leaves him. There's no niceness to that he lets quinn go to the hospital even though quinn is very likely to rise again and kill someone and actually technically kill two people because he does bite karen as well so yeah he's not really interested in stopping the vampires from killing people just stopping the vampires right Mm. yeah like i think humans are just collateral damage to him yeah interesting this is one of the earliest films that I can remember watching for the commentary and watching special features and things on the DVD. Ooh. Um, okay. And the commentaries, you know, are fine. But there is a, spe- a sequence on the DVD that has the original ending of the film. Oh, I read about this. And and it is fascinating to watch and it's fascinating to hear them talk about. Basically, Frost becomes La Magra and he describes it as a hurricane of blood and he becomes a hurricane of blood. In the big Tornado. chapel thing. Tornado. Okay. <laughs> cyclone of blood <laughs> a spinning windy thing, thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, he becomes a big spinning windy thing of blood and blade ends up killing him by slicing open all of the mdma whatever they were called <laughs> thing that makes vampires explode chemicals oh the serum stuff but it's not serum it's the thing that makes vampires explode thing um and that then goes into the windy cyclone and blows up la magra and there's a bit of like you know fast reforms out of 
the cyclone and taunts him and then goes back into it and there's like nothing he can do because it's a giant cyclone of blood. And it was really interesting that they talked about how audiences saw that and instantly lost interest. Just, hmm. you know, the person we were not rooting for but interested in the story of is gone and is now fighting a giant mystical thing. Well, that's not interesting. And that has stayed okay. with me since. And you spot it. And sadly, you spot it in a lot of DC films. Suicide Squad does this. Other things do this. Where it just becomes a... We no longer have a tangible thing to fight. And a person that, we've again, we've been following the story of, it's now just they've become a giant monster. They've become a, mm-hmm. a beam of light shooting into the sky that we need to stop in some way. And it's really interesting to see that they then turned that into the ending of this. Because I think the ending of this is exceptional. The cool fight with all all the army, and then the cool fight with Frost, which is a very good fight. Well, sword fights always look awesome. Absolutely. And this was a good sword fight. Mm-hmm. I, I think that is why some of the effects in that end sequence don't look as good. Because mm-hmm. they had to be properly rushed. The, the sort of arm coming back onto him and the body reforming and stuff. And that's the bit, I think, where the effects really get shown up. But really interesting for them to have gone, okay, people aren't interested. Let's scrap what we've done and craft a whole new fight that is what they're interested in and make it better. And you're like, anytime you hear people going, oh, there's reshoots on that film, it means it's in trouble, it's going to be bad. It's like, no, 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 no. that means they make it better. Right. You know, this is a positive thing. But it sounds like the ending either didn't grab you or the effects threw you out of it. The it, so it wasn't the effects of like his hand growing back and and like him getting cut in half and mm-hmm. the blood pulling him back together. Those effects were fine. I mean, they're not great, but for 1998, I think they were fine, perfectly mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, right? they didn't bother me. It was the exploding heads, right? Exploding yeah, yeah, vampires yeah. that pulled me out. Okay, like I wanted to laugh, and this is not a movie that's trying to make you laugh. This no. is a movie that's trying to be serious. It takes itself seriously. It is a straight action movie, mm-hmm. but then all of a sudden you get these like silly putty looking faces exploding. Yeah, and that did not work for me. Yeah, and and I don't know how you would do that effect of like people's blood boiling and eventually exploding out of them without either it looking silly like it does. Or really graphic in a, you know, my face is melting and exploding Mm -hmm. sort of way. I think I would have preferred it to just be a quick explosion. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of blood everywhere, but just have their head explode, right? Or Mm. have their bodies just turn into liquid. Yeah. Like quickly. Mm. (laughs) We didn't need to see it. We just needed to know what happened. Yeah, even the explosions are like... A, a short geezer of blood explodes upwards mm-hmm. and then lands back down. Like, does it though? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 But other than that, the, I mean, I think the rest of the movie really did look good. Mm. The um, the dusting Quinn, effect is really the good. dusting effect was great. Yeah. The um even the, the skeletons crawling out of yeah, the cat's yeah. mouth mm. at the end, like you could tell it was clearly CGI, but it looked good. Oh, um, skeletons growing out of people's mouths with CGI. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> the guy who's, I, did you say his name was Quinn? Quinn. I think. Yeah, um, the, the side His hand would be growing psychic. back. Yeah. When he pulled the glove off and you could see that it hadn't fully regrown yet. Yeah. There was skin. Like, like, that was really cool. Mm. And it was interesting. 
It made me think of, um, I'm glad that Deadpool doesn't regenerate that way. Yeah, right. I thought of Deadpool 2 as well. <laughs> we just get little baby hands and baby legs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and not these, like, muscular, tendony things. Yeah, grotesque sort of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did love Frost messing with Quinn because that's almost one of the only occasions it doesn't take itself seriously where he's like, I'm going to test the sword. Hold out your arm, Quinn. Why, man? Because they're they're like all better. (laughs) Hold out your arm. Now. And you can see Quinn being like, you're the boss, but don't cut my hand off. Deke, Just kidding. <laughs> and it's almost like comeuppance because Quinn is the comic relief. He's the quippy one all the way right. through making silly stuff. And, and like just before that, we've had the bit when Blade is brought before them. And it's almost like a Muppet show thing. Quinn sort of leans in from the side of the shot and goes, Hey man, thanks for the shit. And then the scene <laughs> continues and Quinn is just off to the side making comments. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just him like, I get your sunglasses. And it's only for yeah. the thing of the sunglasses at the end. <laughs> His character was weird to me because when we were first introduced to him at the beginning mm-hmm. in the club, he felt very rednecky. Yeah. The way he spoke, like his accent, the words that he chose. It was odd. Like I made a comment about it in my notes. Like, this is weird that we've got this nightclub full of vampires and then we've got this redneck vampire coming in. Mm. Like, they don't go together. Right. But then every every time we saw Quinn after that, he was a little bit different and he was never quite like that again where he, and then at the very end he was wearing the suit Mm -hmm. and he was still that comic relief. He was constantly laughing and grinning and all of that, but he was much more put together than he was in that first scene. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it just didn't make sense. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't have that a there's anything to be done you. about yeah. it. I don't know if they did it on purpose or if it was script rewrites at some point, and mm. so there was just some continuity issues. But his character is not big enough to really care. No, it was just something I noticed yeah, because at first he was very, very rednecky, mm. uh, proper sidekick stuff. Because yeah. you then compare that to Frost, who is just that kind of '90s frosted tips, frosted tips kind of cool, kind of. Oh, yeah. He absolutely looked like somebody from the 90s who would be named Deacon Frost. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And he's played by Stephen Dorff. Like, right. It, it absolutely <laughs> lines up. But just he's got a bit of that sort of spike style, not caring, not giving a damn what anyone else thinks, but mm-hmm. also having the plan and knowing he's in, in charge. That's yeah. that swagger almost. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I I liked, and there is a very short space of time where films were able to do this of he was using computers to decode the prophecy and understand what they needed to do because he's of the future and everyone else is the past and hasn't thought of doing this. And there's only a few years, this kind of end of 90s thing where like they could talk about suddenly the, the techie people are coming in and doing interesting things and decoding stuff before it's like, no, everyone's decoded everything by this point. computers have been used on everything (laughs) yeah that's one of the things i like watching about movies from this era because Mm. this was the cusp of the technology boom yeah right you get movies like this you get movies like the net and you get to see all of the the technology that that people thought technology would become Mm -hmm. it's great 
but yeah, it's it's very cool. And and even like when the guy comes and shouts at him, and he's listening to stuff on his headphones, mm-hmm. but the guy can't see them. It, it's just a thing of, oh, he's a very different creature than everything else that's going on here, mm-hmm. than than even our traditional vampires. Even traditional vampires like those from Anne Rice, The Lost Boys, things like that. He's now taking it yet to another place. Again, similar to we will see Angel and Spike and people taking it forward. So mm-hmm. it's a really interesting evolution. Yeah. Mm. So you've been gushing about this movie. A little bit. A <laughs> little bit. What else did you love about this movie besides every single time Wesley Snipes said, Frost. Frost. I mean, the film is all about making Blade look cool. Right. That's the thing. But it's just... There are so many moments of it. The one that absolutely stands out, so it's over and above, fast, is the bit at the end, sword fight, sword fight, sword fight, and he is clearly the better sword fighter, and he slices through fast, and or cuts his arm off and then slices him in half, and because he's now a kind of vampire god, he reforms his body. And Wesley Snipes looks back over his shoulder and just mouths, what the F? Mm-hmm. And I don't think I'd ever seen anything like that. I don't know that I've seen anything like that since. Just the, he's not going like, oh my God, that's incredible. Oh, wow. No, I can't. Oh, now I've got to fight you again. It's just a, it's awesome. It just, it's such a cool character moment that he's the sort of person to mouth something without right. screaming it out in on film. But again, it's, yes. it's just about him looking cool. Because you've then got him slicing Quinn's head off and catching the sunglasses off his head as he dusts so he can mm-hmm. put his his uh, Oakleys back on. You've got him... Right. Th- and this is, like, he is Batman, basically, at this point, throwing the glaive so it goes in a circle, decapitates five dudes, and he catches it with his other hand. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, that is a Batman moment, frankly. It's ridiculous. <laughs> And the best. He does dress all in black like Batman does. And he does. And he does like Batman out of, you know, up buildings and sneak away in the background and stuff. Except the film shows you him like coming out of grates and climbing through holes and so on. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting. The film wants you to know he is having to work and do stuff. Whereas Batman films want you to think he's a little fantastical. Mm -hmm. Whereas this is trying to ground him out of the fantasy. It's a really interesting difference just of a few shots about him moving. But the one that has endured is the meme of him. of And it's when he shoots Quinn in the shoulder and staples him to a wall, basically, with a silver stake. Mm. And it's just, he he watches him, he looks at him, and he just does a mm, fist pump. Yes, he did. And that's <laughs> I forgot a, about that. It's a gif you see so often, but it's perfect. It's, and again, it's not him being triumphant, quippy, out loud. He's a person used to being on his own and working on his own. But it's, right. yeah, I did that and that looked cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. And this coming a year before The Matrix, where you've got this guy in a long black coat, fighting really awesomely in sunglasses and looking great while he does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. What about you? Anything that stood out for you? Anything that I've not mentioned? Because I know I've mentioned basically all of it. <laughs> yeah, you, you kind of took the whole movie, mm-hmm. um, which we have a rule against, you know, Matthew. <laughs> Um, I think of all the parts you haven't mentioned, I think my favorite bit was uh, when Karen is shooting Pearl with the UV light. Mm -hmm. 
And then she just like kind of doesn't stop to the point (laughs) where even Blade turns around and has given her this look. And she's like, what? He moved. (laughs) Because he had told her, you know, you know, if if he moves, then do the thingy Mm -hmm. with the light. I want to say shoot him, but it's not shooting because it's a light. Point the torch at him. Yeah. Yeah. Torture him basically is what, what she's doing. Yeah. But Karen is an awesome character, and I love how quickly she gets up to speed with, yeah, you need to shoot people, and you need to burn them with UV lights. She adapted remarkably well. Mm. Um, Almost to the point that I wondered, are there people who could adapt that quickly? You know, because she went from not knowing about this world at all to learning about it and generally being fine with it. There was no panic. There was no, like, meltdown. No, okay, this is just what the world is now. To being very comfortable shooting a gun mm. you know and we didn't see any of that character development it just happened yeah. right um which and maybe that's okay mm. i mean she's a very she's a very capable hematologist which is called in mm-hmm. and of itself so you then get this sort of blood thing in in the science of it but yeah she is capable and able to do stuff herself she recovers very quickly from him draining what seems to be most of her blood yeah. but also it is a sex thing so <laughs> Yeah, no, she was fine at the end, mm. um, and I wouldn't have expected that, but no. it's a movie. Yeah, I, I like her addition in this. I like her being our way of learning how the rules work and what the world is. She's an interesting person to follow, uh, and I like that I, she sets up, you know, the, the explodey serum thing that allows him to mm-hmm. win. It's because of her that he's then able to do the thing at the end. Right. I like that she was able to cure herself. Mm, yeah. Yeah. They they did well with her, mm, with her yeah. character, I think. Really good addition. Especially for 1998. Mm. And the, the, there was a comment about they were thinking of doing like a, a, not stunt casting, but casting a known actress, but probably a known white actress. And it was Wesley Snipes who pushed for it to be a person of color. Mm-hmm. And there's almost nothing of sort of racial politics in this film. Right. Which Yeah, not at all. I don't think you do now. I think you would reference it because it is part of the conversation. But it is interesting how kind of the first modern superhero film is a black protagonist. And the woman who is our surrogate into the world is also black. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, because the politics in this movie were all about vampires. Mm. There wasn't room for anything else. No. There's the one bit where the police shoot him and he turns out and he's like, are you kidding me? And and I think you would do more of that now. You would do something like... That's interesting. I didn't take that as a race thing. I took that as, are you fucking kidding me? I just saved people. Yeah. And you're shooting me. Yes. And, and I think that's what it's supposed to be. I think okay. if you did it now... And this is why oh, I kind yeah. of don't want to turn it into a joke, because I wouldn't want to demean what it would stand for now, to have a bunch of mm-hmm. white cops shooting the black superhero. Right. Okay, fair mm. enough. The other thing we get from her is the introduction to the sword. And I said we were going to come back oh, around yeah. and talk talk sharp things. I I, I like the sword is cool because he just has this sword that's not sheathed, which is scary in and of itself. And he swings it around and just decapitates dudes and awesome flippy. I love when he runs in to fight Frost at the end. He's running up a ramp with the sword held behind him. And there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of the fights. You can see that Wesley Snipes is really into his sort of Hong Kong martial arts cinema. Because there's a lot of sort of, you can see stylistically bringing that. But that is supposed to be the way you run with a very sharp sword. Like, if you run, if you run like your Aragorn. For Frodo. 
<laughs> and you charge in with your sword and you stumble and your sword goes into your, el- your arm, into your shoulder or something. That's yeah. that's your whole afternoon at that point, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know? Huh. I hadn't thought about that. Whereas the thing is, if you're running with something properly sharp, like the sword he has, you run with it behind you. So right. that it's okay. out of your damaging area. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's it's cool moments like that. You go, oh yeah, they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But she's the one who introduces us to the sword up close and she touches it and it's like, oh, hey, it's spinning around. It's doing a thing. And then suddenly the other blades come out of the hilt and would take right. your hand off. I love the way that's treated as a rule of three in this because they actually invert their own inversion. You see her do it and it teaches us like, okay, there's a, a booby trap in there that would take a person's hand off if they weren't doing it right. You then see a vampire take it and it takes his hand off. You know, you set, mm-hmm. you set up the rule, you reinforce the rule. And you then have at the end... Forced. swinging it round and we're all like oh it's going to take his hand off it's going to take his hand off it's got a booby trap and he doesn't and then he flicks the switch and turns off the booby trap so so it seems like they're inverting it by oh but someone else knows the trick of it but then they return to it when he throws it into the wall at the end with the mm-hmm. booby trap turned back on so when the spikes spring out it drops the blood serum thing back to him and right. that's what allows him to win at the end and mm-hmm. it's like He's not using it as a defensive, you know, take your hand off thing. He's now using it to help him get the thing that will help him win. Right. It's really nice. It's it's a proper it really nice. yeah, bit of writing that's like, oh, that's quite clever. What Everything they've set up, they've mm-hmm. then almost sort of thrown us for a thing of like, okay, they've done the three beat on it. But then they're going to do another one that properly inverts what it is about. Right. It's lovely. Yeah. And then, of course, he gets the blood serum syringe things, throws them all at Frost. And then has the last one that he throws up into the air and Kung Fu kicks into him. (laughs) Yes, yes, he does. Because he has to look as cool as anything and has his closing line. Some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate up here. (laughs) Is that what he said? What does that even mean? Who ice skates (laughs) up hill? I I think I missed that. that. Wow. That's what he says as Frost is exploding. And apparently it is a Wesley Snipes line and Goye heard it and went, that's cool, we're putting it in the film. I, I mean, yes, it's cool. I'm not sure it means anything. I don't think it does. <laughs> All right, so here's a question for you. Go on. Why did the movie end in Russia? Because it's a foreign place where there are other vampires. It's It's taking Blade International. Blade II is actually Blade International intrigue. Okay. I don't know. I I, I I don't know. It could be, you know, if I'm surmising, maybe a comic book thing. But I think it's just mm. the coolness of him speaking Russian. Is that starting for Fremia? Dovarish. Okay. You know. I liked that they showed us that after this battle was over, life went on and Blade still kept doing Blade things. It just felt mm. weird that he was in Russia because Killing Frost, Frost. didn't destroy all Frost. of the vampires in America, right? No. So why Russia? That's all I wanted to know. Reasons. And mm. Reasons. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Russian right. reasons. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it just been reminded that it was written by David Goye, who would go on to write the Batman Dark Knight trilogy and create the Flash Forward TV series. I should have asked you about that, but okay, mm, he's a proper writer. He would go over and do a lot of DC stuff. All right. Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about Blade the movie? Remembering that I bought the trilogy on DVD. Are you interested in watching <laughs> Blade 2? <two? laughs> 
Um, sure. <laughs> no, no. But I'm not unopposed. Yeah. Off the back of this, are you interested? I'm not unopposed. Okay. That that's the best I can give you. Like, I don't know that I'm going to jump up and down for joy. Okay. To say, oh, I really need to see Blade 2, like I've done with some of the sequels we've talked about. Mm-hmm. But I I wouldn't say no if you wanted to do it at some point. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> so it's directed by Guillermo del Toro. Oh. Oh, interesting. Okay. Oh, that's not the reaction <laughs> I expected. <laughs> okay. Wow. See, I, I expect you say, oh, it's a film by Guillermo del Toro. Really? You mean him of Shape of Water and... I haven't seen Shape of Water. Pan's Labyrinth. Haven't seen Pan's Labyrinth. And Pacific Rim. Okay, I did like Pacific Rim. And, I mean, you've not seen Hellboy. I doubt you've seen Crimson Peak. He's done a lot uh-huh. of vampire films. Oh, that's interesting. I thought I would tell you it was Guillermo del Toro and you'd be like, oh, okay, you know, perhaps it's... It's supposed to be one of the superhero sequels that outdoes its first one. Okay. But I can remember not really enjoying it. Hmm. And and so I will admit I'm quite interested to return to it and be like, was I just a dumbass? <laughs> or do I have a genuine reason not to like it? I mean, it's got a member of Bros as one of the bad guys. So let's just... That is. Um, an 80s... I'm going to say boy band, but it's two brothers and I think one backing singer or something, Matt and Luke Goss. Okay. Who did a song called When Will I Be Famous, if that means anything to you? No, plainly not. Not even a little bit. Yeah, okay. Okay. Sorry. All right. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PCDeprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at EloquentGushing. Or you can send an email to podcast at EloquentGushing.com. We are 100% funded by listeners like you through Patreon, where you can now get uh, merch, you can get stickers, you can get coasters, you can get magnets, you get exclusive bonus shows, more exclusive bonus shows, early access to shows, discounts off our merch store. All sort of exciting things now are on our Patreon page. So go to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing to check out how to support us. And don't forget, we now have a merch store where you can go and buy some Eloquent Gushing t-shirts and artwork and magnets and exciting things. Go to tpublic.com slash stores slash eloquentgushing or search for Eloquent Gushing on the Public store. Or there is a link in your show notes or ask us on Twitter or probably other ways. <laughs> I think that probably about covers it. All right, we will be back next week with another episode where we are going to talk about what we do in the shadows. So until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm going to be a naughty vampire god. Oh, that sounds so bad out of context. (laughs) I mean, it was bad in context, but wow. Pop Culturally Deprived is an eloquent gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.